Thanks so much for listening. Before I get into the episode, I wanted to thank today's podcast sponsor, which is Coda Luna and their baby keepsake castle. I personally just put all of my baby's memorabilia into these little keepsake castle boxes and they are so adorable functional. And if you really love organization, then you're really going to love this keepsake box. So not only is it a keepsake box, but it also includes a baby book and it has space for capturing all of the milestones of your baby's early years. And then the keepsake box itself stores all of the memorabilia that you want to keep. So baby's first socks and pacifier and the little hat that they wore when they came home from the hospital. So this keepsake castle with the baby memory book is more than just an organizational product. It's a gateway to preserving the remarkable journey of new parenthood. So take a moment to visit keepsakecastle.com today and embark on creating a lasting legacy of love and nostalgia. Hey, Lindsay, how are you? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So um, before we get started in our topic today, will you give listeners just a little bit of background about you and how you got into the work that you do? Yes. So um, I'm an LCSW. I also have an EDD in educational psychology. Um, I've been in practice now for about 12 years. Um, I've always had a passion to help people. And so I, you know, have sort of shaped my career to be able to help families, um, especially children and their parents, be able to navigate certain challenges. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be talking about play therapy today. And can you start us off just with a definition of what is play therapy? So play therapy is basically the primary modality when children, especially in the nonverbal to early elementary age, um, start to experience either adjustment disorder, emotional issues, um, behavioral problems. It's the primary modality to try to treat some of those things. Um, what that looks like is essentially as adults, when we're trying to process through something we're struggling with, we talk, kids play. So, um, you know, over the course of our conversation, we'll talk about some different ways that that kind of looks. And so one of my goals for today's conversation is really for parents to be informed consumers, to know when to access play therapy, what it should kind of look like, what the different um, options are to be able to best address the needs of their kids. Especially, I know you have a lot of um, maternal health listeners. And so, you know, a big issue for a lot of kids is, is the addition of a new sibling. And so that's, you know, one way that a lot of families are all of a sudden starting to, you know, maybe have a need to access therapy for their children that maybe they didn't before. Wonderful. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about like if they find someone who does play therapy and they, you know, schedule their first session, what can they expect? Okay. So typically, um, the parents should expect that they're going to need to come in separate from their child. That in my opinion, is really important. You want to be able to give a full history. Um, they're going to do explanation of the birth process, wanting to understand the gestational experience of the child. Um, and all of that is basically 
Um, there's a lot of research that shows that attachment and problems that occur with attachment occur in, in utero and that even birth trauma can sometimes impact children later in life. So initially, um, the therapist should want to get a real comprehensive evaluation about your child, what, uh, what symptoms your child is currently presenting with, any kind of family history, um, just to get a full picture um, before they actually start the next phase, which is, you know, meeting with your child. Okay, great. And then what does it look like when you have the first session with your child? So at least the way that, that I typically prefer doing things, um, every interaction early on is an opportunity to sort of diagnose and assess and sort of see a bigger picture of the kid. So the first session is typically meeting with the parent, um, one or both, depending on the dynamic. The next piece, I really like to see the parent interact with the child. What I'm looking for at that point is, does the child separate easily? Is the child really clingy? How does the child respond to me coming into the room as a stranger? All of those are going to kind of indicate we're looking for attachment to see when there's anxiety or when there's adjustment disorder or when there's some problems that come up, those, those transitions will be impacted. Um, so that's sort of starting sort of my formulation in my head about what's going on with this child. Sometimes um, a separate observation will occur um, where the therapist actually goes into the school, depending on where the problems are occurring. Um, and then we go to, after we've sort of navigated that, the primary goal is to make the child comfortable. So let's say you meet with the parent and the child and the child is like not having it you're not necessarily going to meet with the child one-on-one. -on -one. You may do a couple of sessions with the parent there. And what you're really trying to do is similar with regular you know, therapy for adults. You want to build a rapport. You want the kid to feel comfortable with you. Sometimes what you might also see are some diagnostics. Um, one that I typically use is an art therapy prompt called a treehouse and a person um, where I have the, the child, and this depends on the age of the child, obviously, but I'll have them draw a picture. I'm looking for, um, you know, sometimes it can be telling it's called a projective assessment um you know there's certain things i'm looking for in that picture that can kind of inform not in isolation but as part of the picture what might be going on with the child to try to figure out a treatment plan and what needs to be done to help them and at what age could a child go to therapy for the first time so i would say it depends on the child um Non-directive play therapy, especially if a child has experienced some kind of trauma, can be as young as three. A lot of times if you're under the age of four, it really should be more of dyadic work. The main goal is expressing your the child's feelings and wanting to help them emotionally regulate. And the primary attachment figure is really where a lot of that work should be done. Um, ideally, you want to be teaching the parent how to sort of help that child calm themselves. So that's kind of what it looks like early on. As the child gets a little older, they can sort of benefit from some play therapy techniques, sand tray therapy, non-directive play therapy, some other modalities that are really meant to just sort of help the child express their feelings. A lot of times under the age of five, they are feeling all sorts of things and they don't have names or language for that. So a therapist's primary goal is first to give the kid the understanding, oh, when I'm feeling nervous like this, that's anxiety or that's those are my worries or I'm really sad or I'm angry. Once they sort of have the language, then it's helping them learn the triggers and to manage those emotions and be able to express those. 
And you've used a couple terms that just in case someone's not familiar with them that I wanted to ask you about. So non-directive play okay. therapy. Yep. So non-directive, there's two different types. Um, directive, just like in, in adult therapy, you have cognitive behavioral therapy or, or modalities like that where it really is more scripted. The goal is you do, you know, you want to do these certain interventions. Non-directive is really about the relationship with the kid. It's letting the kid sort of come into the therapy space. The therapist is really more um, sitting back and observing and kind of giving reflective statements to help the child kind of learn to explore their world. What you see with non-directive is really interpreting their play. A lot of times you will see different themes come out. So let's say when a child is playing, you may start to see themes of aggression. You want to kind of look for, or the therapist will likely be looking for how that play resolves. In the, the storyline that they're playing, you know, is the character being rescued? Is the character constantly getting into situations and no one can help them? Are there a lot of villains and no heroes? There's a lot of those themes that come out that help us understand how the child is interpreting the world. So non-directive is really more about sitting back and sort of letting the child utilize the space as they see fit. And the therapist is really there to just sort of help guide and understand what they're seeing. Um, whereas directive therapy is more... Um, if a child is dealing with anxiety or even um, a lot of anger outbursts or tantrums, you really want um, more of an understanding of like triggers and different coping mechanisms. That's going to be more directive where the therapist is really targeting a specific behavior. And then what about dyadic? So dyadic is in tandem, I think is, is the literal translation. And what it basically means is parent and child. So when you're doing dyadic work, you're essentially working with the parent and the child together. So you're teaching the parent how to observe their child, how to reflect, how to support, how to manage their emotions and teach them to manage their emotions versus, you know, some traditional play therapists will only meet with the kid and they believe in, in having the parent kind of be a separate piece to it. Um, with the younger ages, I, I really do believe it's important to have the parent a very integral part of the process. And then what about adjustment disorder or adjustment issue? Okay, so adjustment disorder typically is a catch-all diagnosis. When you, at least my preference is, I don't like to label kids early on unless it's absolutely necessary. So adjustment, depending on if you're coming into therapy, utilizing insurance, or a lot of times we have to give a diagnosis. Um, and so adjustment disorder just basically describes there's a change in the child's life or um, something that's going on that's occurring that is creating, you know, emotional or behavioral problems. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Typically, like how long does a child, you know, go through this therapy process? Is it so, cause some people will find a therapist and they'll stay with them for years and years. Is this different in play therapy? It depends. Um, if a kid comes into me and is having like a specific behavior that they're struggling with, um, the challenge is really trying to one, get the kid to trust you, to develop a rapport, then actually start to understand how they're experiencing or what the trigger is. Sometimes if it's like, you know, a fear of swimming pools or if it's something specific and targeted, it can be shorter. Let's say you just have a kid that just has generalized anxiety and you don't really have a direct trigger and you don't know where it's coming from. It can take, you know, six to nine months to help. And it also depends on the child. I've had kids that I've worked with that their progress and, and, you know, being able to resolve an issue, an emotional issue is very slow and calculated. And so it really depends on the kid. 
Um, it depends on environmental stressors outside. You know, it's all well and good to have a therapy space where the kid is feeling validated and heard, but if they're going back to an, into a really stressful environment, that's also going to impact how long it's going to take to sort of get some benefit from the therapy. That makes sense. And what would be um, some of the reasons why parents would want to consider using play therapy for their child? So um, some things to look for, um, why you might want to consider, you know, consulting with a therapist is if you see a marked change in your child's behavior. If, if you know your child is typically happy-go-lucky and all of a sudden they're withdrawn or, you know, crying all the time, or if they've always, sleep is a little bit of a trickier one, but if they're reporting, you know, nightmares or um, a lot of anxiety, if they're having major, major extreme dip difficulty separating, some of it is understanding, okay, what's developmentally appropriate for my child versus when does it become problematic? And so I always tend to, um, a lot of the calls that I'll get are just parents wondering, hey, is this something that's normal? Or, you know, is this something that I need to get support on? Um, and a lot of times, especially if it's a kid that's under three or four, I'll want to do some parent coaching calls just to sort of see what's going on before we actually, you know, recommend therapy for the child. Um, the other thing to kind of look for is, if something has happened in your life that is really disruptive or really upsetting or a really big change, um, typically, even though our children, quote unquote, might seem fine, if it impacts us, it's typically going to impact them. I think that makes total sense. And um, I also wanted to give you space. You had started in the beginning of the episode talking about like what your main goal is or one of the things that you wanted to talk about today. So I just wanted to leave some space for you to go ahead and do that. So I guess my main goal is for parents to kind of understand, um, again, when they should access therapy, knowing that it's not a reflection if they're a good or bad parent, because I think there's a lot of shame and guilt around it. Um, it really is a proactive measure. The goal is really to help us understand um, if your child is having a hard time regulating their emotions, and typically lots of, you know, this is not something that kids just walk into the world knowing how to do. Um, and so the more tools we have to help them navigate that, the better. The other thing that sometimes can be helpful is, you know, if you're, if you notice that you're going through a big change, like I mentioned, uh, you know, the addition of a new sibling or uh, the loss of a grandparent or, you know, changes that are impacting your child's life, it's always a good idea just to um, check, you know, we, one thing I would typically recommend is, you know, if the child is in school, we want to look how they're functioning at home and at school. And if it's impacting more than one area, it, that's typically another indication that we kind of want to, um, try to get them some extra support. Thank you. And how can a parent find a play therapist? Okay. So, there is uh, the National Association for Registered Play Therapists. Um, that is one option. Um, typically, um, it, it depends if they're wanting to pay out of pocket or utilize insurance. You usually want to make sure that the person is licensed and credentialed. But honestly, the best way, best way is typically word of mouth. It's talking to other moms. Um, that have sort of dealt with similar challenges. And a lot of times they sort of know, hey, I've, I've worked with this therapist and she's been able to help my kid. And um, one of the problems that I think a lot of families are running into now is, you know, since the pandemic, um, a lot of things are done via Zoom. 
So I have not found that play therapy via Zoom really works for kids. But one thing that has been helpful and can sometimes be sort of a good first step is for the parent to sort of start to get some understanding as to how they can help their child until you're able to find someone that is doing in-person therapy. Yeah, that's a great tip. Is there anything else that you think is important for parents to understand about play therapy? You know, the biggest thing is, in my experience, the techniques in play therapy really translate very well to the parenting experience. So when you have an adult that comes into therapy, you typically need the therapist to help them work through certain things. But a lot of times, parents can provide validation, reflection, a safe holding space, um, teaching their child to take deep breaths, trying to understand where they're coming from, these little things that seem so trivial that can make such a big difference. And so sometimes it's a matter of taking a step back and really trying to understand where your child is coming from that can really have a big impact. So unless there's something that's like significantly um, that's occurred, it's always a good idea to try some of those basic techniques to see if you can get some improvement and you can, as the parent, can help your child work through issues. Or you can have the therapist sort of teach you how to do that. That's super helpful. Well, thank you so much for all of the information that you have given us today. And I'm going to link to um, a few of the things that you mentioned in the show notes of the episode. So if anybody is wondering or if they're listening out and about and can't write something down, don't worry about it. Just go to the show notes. It'll be listed there. And if parents are interested in finding out more about you or following you online, where can they do that? Um, So I have a website, EW Therapy Group. Um, and it has my contact information and I'm happy to, like I said, be a sounding board, answer questions. If the process feels overwhelming, maybe give them some guidance as to where to start. Um, that's really a good first step is, is, you know, if you're considering it or questioning it, you know, feel free to reach out and I'm happy to help however I can. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thanks again for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you liked the episode and would like to hear more, please follow Finding Your Village wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to sign up for the postpartum class at pregnancytopreschool.net. Thank you so much and stay safe, healthy, and connected.